You're listening to the Trace Church Rock Rimmon podcast. What's up, Trace Church? Uh, it's good to be here with you guys. I just want to take a quick moment and say welcome to any of you guys that are joining us for the very first time. We're incredibly excited to have you with us, uh, whether you got invited by a friend or maybe uh, you saw our street signs or maybe you've been watching us online for uh, a season now, but you finally decided to join us here in person. Whatever the case, we're so glad that you're here with us today. Uh, also, just want to give a quick shout out to any of you that are joining us online uh, this morning. Our team has been working incredibly hard to provide you with a great experience to do church at home. And so I hope you're sitting somewhere comfortable. I hope you're enjoying your morning. Uh, thank you so much for joining the conversation today. Uh, my name is Josiah, and I have the opportunity to be one of the pastors here at Trace. Uh, specifically, I get to work with our students here. Uh, whether they're middle school students or high school students, I have the opportunity to hang out with them. They always keep me on my toes. Um, but if you are a student, like, let's just go ahead and be honest for a second. 2020 sucks, okay? Let's just be real. Uh, you're probably not getting to see your friends near as much. You're probably fighting with your parents more than usual. Um, and after only two or three weeks of school, you're probably already ready to be done. And uh, you got a long way to go, sorry to tell you. Um, but, you know, as a church, we want to remove obstacles for people to get to Jesus. Uh, that includes our students, that includes our kids, that includes us in here, that that is what we are after. And so if you are a student, if you have a student, if you know a student, uh, please come talk to me right after this. I would love the opportunity to get you or your students connected to what's going on here at Trace. So as you guys just saw, we're starting a brand new series this morning called Masks, and I'm very excited about this. Uh, but if you would have told me this past year uh, that, you know, I would be spending a majority of my time uh, right now in this season uh, planning things that are probably going to get canceled or a lot of time running back to my car uh, because I forgot my mask in the car, not only would I have not believed you, but I probably would have argued with you because that's the type of person uh, that I am. Like, who would have thought? Who would have thought? that this is where we would be at this time this year. It makes me want to go back to New Year's uh, Eve last year and like revoke my celebration because like 2020 is not worth celebrating. But I hope we have one heck of a party at the end of this year to say, you know, we survived 2020. But our lives have changed so much over this last season, uh, from learning about a company called Zoom uh, to having the longest spring break known to humanity uh, to even the feeling we get when we gather like in places like this, the, the feeling of guilt or even a little bit of fear of what could possibly happen when we're together with other people. Things are different now. But perhaps one of the greatest changes to our everyday lives are these things right here, right? Masks. Because of a mandate here in Colorado Springs, we're basically forced to take this with us everywhere we go, right? And I understand that for some of us, these things cause us a little bit of unrest, that, that they're a little bit uncomfortable, but I hope that each and every one of us, we can agree that there's been some really, really good humor that's come out of this season. Uh, and so I, I found a couple of these. I just want to show you some of them. And the first one is this. This is from someone in our church. Wanted to share it with you. So if masks become permanent, do we have to spend money on braces? Because that seems kind of pointless now, right? <laughs> Love that. Or maybe if you like Star Wars, I saw this one, thought it was funny. Be like the Mandalorian. Never take your mask off in front of others. This is the way, right? That's good. Um, or this one, I haven't seen this happen, but I know it's only a matter of time. Mom, this isn't the mask you wore to school this morning. No, this one's way cooler. I traded mine to Taylor, who traded with Hunter. Like, I know it's only a matter of time before that happens. 
But whether you realize it or not, uh, masks are a normal part of our society now. And while for some of us they're unfamiliar, for some of us they're uncomfortable, there are some masks that we like to wear. There are some masks that we're a little bit more familiar with, a little bit more comfortable with. Whether it's the mask that you wear whenever you're around certain people, whether it's that boy or that girl that you like, or maybe even the mask that you wear around your in-laws, or maybe it's the mask that you wear when you come into a place like this. Like this is an uncomfortable setting for some of you, and so you put on a mask because you don't know how to act. Or maybe for you, it's the mask that even we can sometimes wear as followers of Jesus, that we say one thing and we do a complete other thing. Whatever the case, there are tons of masks that we like to wear because today I don't want to talk to you uh, about masks that look like this. Today I want to talk to you about the mask that looks like this right here. A smile. That too often we find ourselves smiling on the outside while struggling on the inside. Right? That oftentimes we wear this mask of a smile as we walk around. But listen, we want to be the kind of church. We want to be the kind of people. We want to be the kind of place where you can stop pretending, that you don't have to pretend when you walk into this place. And so over the next several weeks and today even, we're going to talk about what it means to live a bold life, yes, but also an authentic one, free from fake smiles, free from metaphorical masks, free from pretending. Very quickly this morning, before I really get going, I feel like I need to preface and say this, that I recognize some of the things that we're going to be talking about today hit pretty close to home for some of you. That we're going to be talking about what it means to struggle on the inside. And I know that some of you deal with anxiety, depression, and other clinical mental illnesses. And I don't want to be dismissive of that. I don't just want to overshoot my territory here. And the last thing I would want to do is act like I'm equipped to speak at this from every angle of life. That I recognize these things can have a profound impact on your social, your emotional, and your spiritual lives. And I'm not going to pretend that I'm equipped to speak to it from all those angles. But I am a pastor. And so one of the things I'd like to do today is speak at it from a spiritual perspective. And I just want to share some things with you today. And so in the essence of not pretending, I'm not a licensed counselor. I'm not a trained psychologist. I'm not a mental health specialist. I'm very simply just a 24-year-old guy that has some experience smiling on the outside while struggling on the inside. And so I want to share some of those thoughts with you today. So when I was in college, uh, one of my professors, he asked us this question right here. He said this, uh, what do you think is the biggest lie told in church? What do you think the biggest lie told in church is? And so I sat and I thought there for a while while uh, my peers began to answer. And one of them said, you know, you got to do more good things than bad things if you want to get to heaven. That's a lie that's often projected in these kinds of circles. Uh, Another student said, God hates gay people. That's a lie. That's just not true. But then another student said, you know, I can do all things through God who, or Christ who gives me strength. And he added the caveat, I don't care how much Christ I have in me. I'm not going to be able to bench 300 pounds at the end of the day. But when it finally came my turn, I said this. I said, I think the biggest lie I told in church is I'm praying for you. That too often I hear that whenever people don't actually pray for me. But our professor, he looked at all of us and he said, no, you're all wrong. No, the biggest lie I told in church is this phrase right here. I'm good. I'm good. That every Sunday, countless people stream into churches all over the world. And they could be having absolute chaos in their life. And they walk in, they get a half-hearted greeting, and somebody asks them how they're doing, and you know how they answer? I'm good. And nine times out of ten, this is what people say. And I'm just as guilty as the next person. 
Like even this morning, I caught myself saying this several times over and over that I'm doing good. But I see this all the time. Like I've watched moms walk into church like with absolute chaos all over their face. Like their hair is plastered sideways. They got one kid in their arm who's screaming. The other kid's crying because this kid's screaming. And the mom's got like breakfast smeared all over this brand new outfit she got from Target for church. And she walks into church and somebody asks her how she's doing. You know what she says? I'm good. No, you're not. (laughs) Like, look at what's going on around you. If I were you, there's no way I would be feeling the same way as you. Or I've watched families who both of them have lost their jobs. And they're struggling financially. They're wondering how they're going to make ends meet. They're wondering how they're going to pay for their kids' college. They walk into a place like this. Someone asks them how they're doing. You know what they say? I'm good. And it's like, if I were in your shoes, there's no way I'd be feeling the same way that you do. Or I've even sat across the table from students that have just attempted to take their own life. And although their cheeks are still damp and their eyes still wet from crying, you ask them how they're doing. And this is what they tell you. I'm good. And like I said, guys, I'm just as guilty as the next person. That oftentimes the way I talk to people, the way I interact with people is not how I actually feel. And if you're anything like me, maybe for you, your interactions with people looks something like this. If something goes wrong, something goes wrong. Maybe for you students, you fail your chemistry test. Or maybe your car breaks down. Or maybe for one of you, someone eats the snack that you were very clearly saving for later. Something goes wrong. Maybe on a more serious note, someone you love passes away. You caught him cheating on you. You lose your job. Something goes wrong. And in that moment, rather than being transparent about what's really going on in our lives, rather than, you know, being um, honest about what we're dealing with, what we're feeling on the inside, what we choose to do is we choose to put on a mask. We choose to put on a mask. We choose to smile. We choose to fake it for as long as we know how, knowing full well we're probably not going to make it. And in that moment, we start pretending. And we put on a mask, and we mask how we're really doing with how we want people to think we're really doing. That our outside appearance does not match our internal struggle. But listen, this dilemma is not just confined to Americans in the 21st century. We actually see this happen all throughout Scripture. People who seem to be succeeding on the outside, but are really struggling on the inside. And this is nowhere more true than for King King David of the Old Covenant. That in Jewish history, King David, he's actually claimed as this hero-like person. He's kind of like Hercules, this Hercules-type figure characterized by conquest and like expanding the borders of the kingdom of Israel. And he's this incredible king described as a man chasing after God's own heart. That from every angle of his life, he seems like the archetype of success. Yet even though that's true, David wore a mask. Oftentimes, David put on a smile. That even with all of these achievements, with all of this success, he would still go on to write things like this in Psalm chapter 13. He would say this, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts day and night? Anybody been there? And have sorrow in my heart. How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me, God, and answer. Lord, my God, give light to my eyes. Otherwise, I will sleep 
in death. It doesn't sound like a successful person. It doesn't sound like somebody who would constantly be smiling. No, that, that with as much success and as much renown as King David had, he was always smiling on the outside while silently struggling on the inside. And listen, I don't think we're any different. I don't think we're any different. That all of us have a tendency to fake it, to, to put on a brave face, to put on a smile when clearly we're not doing okay. And I think for most of us, it's because somewhere along the way, we picked up this lie that says this right here, that it's not okay to not be okay. That it's not okay for me to not be okay. And we all tend to believe this lie for different reasons. If you're anything like me, maybe for some of you, it's pride. That when you look at vulnerability, you associate that with weakness. And so you don't want to share what's really going on in your life because then other people might think you're weak or that you're not up to the challenge. Or maybe for you, it's, it's guilt. That you have some sort of misplaced guilt in your life. That you think, oh, I don't want to bother anybody with the things that are going on. You know, my problems aren't as big as other people's. And so we stuff them down, right? And we ignore them. Or maybe for you, it's shame. That you've made some mistakes in your life. You've done some things you're just simply not proud of. And rather than sharing those with other people, you keep them close to your chest because you know if you share them with other people, then they can blame them or blame you for them or use them against you later in life. But whatever the case, we all have a tendency to believe the lie that it's not okay to not be okay. And if I could be transparent with you this morning, I'd tell you that I've had several moments like this. That I've lived a lot of moments in my life uh, projecting a smile on the outside while really struggling on the inside. And if I were to be really honest with you today, I would tell you that I had one of these moments uh, this past summer. You see, something you need to know about me is this. I love this church. I love this church. I love the people, love the culture. I love Trace Church. And I hope you realize just how blessed you are to be a part of a church with so many gifted, talented people on the leadership team here at Trace, all moving in the same direction. Like, we're so blessed to have that here. And I'm so incredibly grateful for it. It's one of the reasons my wife and I, we wanted to move here, is we wanted to be a part of a culture like that. However, with that being the case, what often happens, uh, what I often do to myself, is I put an unnecessary amount of pressure on myself to perform at the level that I think everybody else on staff is at, to perform at a level that lives up to everybody else's expectations. Listen, my entire life, I've never had a problem saying no to people. Never had a problem saying no when it comes to them asking me for help. I've always had a good work-life balance. I've prided myself on that. But since I've been here, I've tried to do my absolute best to accept every opportunity that comes my way. Every opportunity that comes my way. Rarely turning down an opportunity to get better. Rarely saying no to people. And to be honest, it hasn't affected me a whole lot uh, until this past summer. It seems like everything kind of culminated into this one really rough, rough week for me. As you see, I was planning events every single week for students, trying to maintain the balance of not doing enough because of the coronavirus, but also having something for our students to do. I had parents on both sides of the spectrum uh, wondering, you know, what we were going to do. Uh, I was trying to rebuild and rebrand our entire student ministry so that we could move forward this fall. I had a lot of students that were struggling with this season, struggling through life. A lot of people in this church that I, I had the opportunity to help. 
Aaron's always been incredibly generous with allowing me to stand up here and preach, gives me way more opportunities than I deserve. And I'll always be appreciative of that. But then I was also just getting in a ton of fights with my wife, Jessica. And this all kind of came to a T uh, whenever a trip I was really looking forward to, really looking forward to, it got canceled. And in that moment, all this pressure, all this responsibility, all these things in my life very quickly turned to rage in my life. And I'm not talking, oh, I was a little bit upset, or, you know, I was a little bit annoyed. I'm talking, I remember driving in my car that day thinking to myself, I dare somebody to cut me off right now. <laughs> like, I dare somebody to cut me off right now. Like, I've been driving this white girl wagon for long enough, like, make my day, get me a new car, cut me off, see what happens. Very quickly in my life, that anger, that rage turned to a word that I hate to use to describe me. I don't pull it out very often. I know Aaron used it a couple weeks ago, but it's this word right here, depressed. For a couple days there, I was a depressed mess. I had trouble sleeping at night, didn't want to eat anything, didn't really want to do anything. You can ask my wife about it. And in that moment, through nothing that anybody here has done, no culture that's been created in this staff, no culture that's been created in this church, but in that moment, I thought to myself, I can't tell anybody about this. This is way too big of a deal. This is not something uh, that, that I'm used to. I thought, man, I, I'm Josiah freaking Weiss. I don't get stressed. I'm a happy person most of the time. I definitely don't get depressed. No, I lead too many people. I, I help people that are depressed. I don't, no, I don't get depressed. So in that moment, I started pretending. I put on a smile. I faked it. I did what I needed to do to get through that season. I just kept working and working. And it wasn't until I had some very intentional conversations uh, with people on staff here, with people in this church, with my wife Jessica, with my parents, with some other mentors that I had, that I started to recognize where all of this came from. That somewhere along the way, I picked up this lie, and I believed it with all my heart. That's not okay to not be okay. That is not okay to not be okay. And for the person that needs to hear it this morning, I need you to hear me very clearly. That's what this is. It's a lie. Now listen, it's okay for you to not be okay. It is okay for you to not be okay. That this is a place you should stop pretending. This is a place you can stop pretending. That it's okay for you to talk about the fact that your teenagers are incredibly rebellious and they don't look like model citizens like the rest of your friends' kids do. It's okay for you to talk about the fact that your marriage has been on the rocks for months now, that you've been fighting consistently for a long time and you don't know how it's going to turn out. Guys, it's okay for you to come into this church and think, I don't know about this Jesus stuff. I don't know if God is really real. I have some doubts. My faith isn't as solid as I would like it to be. Listen, it's okay for you to not be okay. We just don't want to stay that way. We just don't want to stay that way. And so what do you do when you find yourself in this space? What do you do when you find yourself here? What do you do when you're not okay? Really quickly, what I'd like to do for you this morning is just give you three very practical things that you can do if you find yourself here or if you're here this morning. And the first one is this. Slow down. Slow down. Guys, the pace of the American life is only getting faster. Uh, with an increase in modern technology, people are on the clock more. They're answering emails later. They're going to bed far after the sun goes down. 
An interesting statistic that I actually found this week is that our walking speed as a race of humanity uh, has increased by 10% over the last 20 years. What that means is that we are rushing more and more to get to the next meeting. We're rushing more and more to get through the grocery store and get home. We're rushing more and more through life, trying to make the most of every single moment that we have. Something that I've always found interesting about Jesus is this. Although his calendar was always full, although that man was incredibly busy, we never catch him running to his next appointment. That although he had the demands of ministry, that he had literal life and death situations on his shoulders every single day. He had the pressure of being the son of God, of being perfect, perfect, of making sure he didn't mess up. He had people literally beating him to the next place he would preach. But we still don't see Jesus running to his next point. No, he doesn't buckle under the pressure. That if anything, he does the opposite. It says this in Luke chapter 5. But Jesus often, that's an important word, but Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. That often, not sometimes, not just when he needed to, but it says often Jesus took the time to slow down and focus on what was really important for him. And I think it's because Jesus understood this truth right here, that the further we try to run from our problems, the faster your problems will run you over. That the further we try to run from our problems, the faster your problems will probably run you over. And we see Jesus withdraw often. And this is nowhere more true than right before Jesus dies, right before he goes to the cross. Like there's definitely some anxiety there. Jesus is definitely worried in this moment. Jesus may even be a little bit scared and afraid in this moment. But what do we see him do? We don't see him pick up more ministry. And just work harder. We don't see him drown uh, the, the fear away by drinking the night away. We don't see him try to distract himself from his problems by seeking after other pleasures in this world. No, what does he do? It says this in Luke chapter 22. He walked away about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. He walked away. He withdrew. He slows down. And like I said, some of us, are in this place where we recognize something's wrong. That we've known for a while that something is different in our souls, that maybe we're not sleeping well at night. Maybe we're a little bit more irritable than normal. Maybe we're just having a hard time finding those little moments of joy in life. But whatever the case, something is wrong. And if that's you, I need you to hear me. You're probably living at a pace that is unsustainable. Unsustainable. And you can fake it for a while. You can put on a smile. You can pretend for a long time, but eventually your problems are going to force you to stop completely. And so why not take the time to intentionally slow down before it's too late? Before it's too late. So what do you do when you're not okay? The first thing you do is you slow down. Second thing you do is this. You speak up. Speak up. And when I say speak up, I'm really talking about uh, you voicing what's going on to two different people. The first one is this, talk to your father. Talk to your father. And when I say your father, I'm not talking about your physical father. I'm talking about God. That God loves to hear from his children. I love the picture that's painted in Psalm 116 where it says this. I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my prayer for mercy. 
I love this imagery right here. Because he bends down to listen. I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my prayer for mercy. Because he bends down to listen. Listen, your Father in heaven loves to hear when you pray for him. He loves the opportunity to hear what's really going on in your life. And listen, I get it. Like, I've been there. Sometimes it feels like a one-way conversation. Sometimes it feels like my prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling. Sometimes it feels like I'm in a spiritual dead zone. That like They're not getting through, and I'm wondering, you know, is God even listening to me? And it can begin to make me question what I'm praying about. Is, is what I'm praying about actually a big deal? Are those things worth praying about? And if that's you, I would tell you this. If it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. If it's big enough for you to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. That God is desperate to hear what's going on in your life if only we would give him the opportunity to listen. I love what Psalm 34 says about God. It says this, The Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. He hears them. He rescues them from all of their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Someone needs to hear that this morning. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Listen, I get it. Sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers. Sometimes he doesn't remove the pain. Sometimes he doesn't remove the problems. And once again, in those moments, we can begin to think he's not listening. And we can begin to think that what we're praying about is not worth praying about. I love how Pastor Craig Rochelle says it. He says this, if it's on your mind, it's on God's heart. If it's on your mind, it's on God's heart. And sometimes it doesn't seem that way. But your pain is worth praying about. So speak up. First, talk to your father. The second, talk to your friends. Talk to your friends. And what I would say here is this. Take a look at your circle of friends. Is there one or two people in that group of friends that can literally know everything about you? That you would trust to tell them everything. And when I say everything, I mean everything. Because we need people in our lives. We need people in our group of friends that can not just help us at our worst, but can lead us to our best. That we can take off the mask when we're with them and we can't fool them by putting on a mask. That they know before you even start talking, when you say a phrase like, I'm good, they recognize that you're really not. We got to learn to speak up. We got to learn to talk to our friends. Another caveat to this is uh, we can't just walk around with a mask. We can't just walk around with a smile on our face and wonder why nobody's reaching out to us because we're struggling. That you can't put the onus on other people whenever you're not doing well on the inside. One of the ways we like to say this around here is do not hold me uh, to an expectation you haven't clearly communicated. Don't hold me to an expectation you haven't clearly communicated. That if you haven't clearly communicated to your friends, hey, I'm going to need help in these moments. I need you to ask me about these things. Don't expect them to do it. <laughs> like, don't expect people to check on you if you're constantly wearing a mask. And so what do we do when we're not okay? We slow down. We speak up. But then the final thing we do is this. We reach out. We reach out. Now, I've met with several people uh, that struggle with smiling on the outside while struggling on the inside. Like I said, uh, I'm one of those people sometimes. But one of the things that I've noticed, and I hope this doesn't come off too abrasive or too insensitive, but one of the things that I've noticed is that when we start to struggle a lot more inwardly, we all tend to get a little bit more selfish, don't we? 
that we all tend to stop focusing on what's going on in other people's lives. We stop finding the energy to step into other people's problems. We stop, uh, we, we start devaluing the impact that we can make in other people's lives. Because we think to ourselves, you know, if I'm struggling with someone, how could I possibly find the energy to help serve someone else? And we can read things like Galatians 6.2, which, you know, talks about bearing each other's burdens and walking with people. And we think to ourselves, yes, that's it. We, you know, why aren't people dealing with my stuff? (laughs) Why aren't people helping me with the things I'm going through? And we can read that and we get frustrated because we're focused so much on what we're going through that we miss what other people are going through. However, as a church, one of the mantras we have is this, that we want to be the kind of people, we want to be the kind of church uh, that extend hope when life hurts. We want to extend hope when life hurts. We want to extend hope when life hurts, no matter what. That we we want to be known as people, as people that are continually lifting others up rather than just dragging them down. Now listen, regardless of what you are struggling with, I need you to hear me. You have an immense amount of impact that you can offer the kingdom of God. That perhaps one of the greatest things you can do if you are someone that is struggling on the inside, perhaps one of the greatest things you can do is to be aware and look out for the opportunities to serve other people. And listen, there's a reason this one comes third in the list. Because yes, we have to slow down. Yes, we have to learn to speak up, and we got to give those things the time that they deserve. But there comes a moment in each and every single one of our lives where we have to start, stop asking the question, what can other people do for me? And start asking the question, what can I do for other people? We have to stop using uh, how we're doing as an excuse not to help other people. We extend hope when life hurts, meaning that we extend hope even when our life hurts. We have to learn to reach out. Listen, at some point or another, we all find ourselves struggling on the inside and smiling on the outside. And as a church, we want this to be a place where everybody can stop pretending. That, listen, Jesus would eventually go to a cross and die for that very reason. That you can't pretend at the foot of the cross. That Jesus sees right through your mask of a smile. He doesn't take the phrase, I'm good. He knows we're not. That he knows we each have hurts, habits, hangups that we deal with on a daily basis. That he went to the cross and he died for each and every single one of us anyway. So that someday, depression, anxiety, internal struggle, things that we're dealing with on the inside, so that someday all of those things would go away. And listen, it's okay for you to not be okay. We just don't want to stay that way. And so if you've never made the decision, if you've never made the decision to put Jesus first in your life, to make him not only your Savior, but also your Lord, Guys, next week we're going to be having an open baptism, and I would love to invite you to be a part of that. And if that's something you'd like to talk more about, I will clear my schedule. I'd love to have that conversation with you. You can talk to me right out in the lobby or right over here right after this, or you can talk to somebody at Next Steps. We'd love to get you uh, in a relationship with Jesus. Guys, it's okay for you to not be okay. We just don't want to stay that way. And so what do we do when we're not okay? We slow down, we speak up, we reach out. We slow down, we speak up, we reach out. Because at the end of the day, we would rather be people that are real than people that are right. And so to close today, I just want to invite you to take off the mask. Because listen, this is a place, this is a church where you can stop pretending. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. God, thank you for this time. 
God, I know every emotion is acceptable when we are on our knees in prayer. And so, God, today, God, if there are people in this room, if there are people that are watching online that are not doing okay, God, give them the courage to slow down. Give them the courage to speak up, to talk to somebody about that. But God, help us to be the kind of people that extend hope even when our life hurts. God, we love you, and we know we wouldn't be anywhere without Jesus. So God, help us to remove those obstacles to get people closer to him. It's in your name we pray. Amen.